Well, welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. And one of, well, I think one of the benefits of the Enigma is the network and finding and connecting our network in mysterious and wonderful ways. So this is a great episode because I've got two great guests with me today. I have Carol Day, who will explain all about herself in relation to her experience within sport and what she's doing and why she's doing and how she's doing things right now. But I've also got Mitchell Feldman from X-Ray Glass back into the studio. And we'll hear all about how they are connected. So come back to me straight after this. Hi, I'm Adam Pacifico, and welcome to The Leadership Enigma, a world-ranked, award-winning podcast that's insatiably curious as regards what leaders do, how they do it, and importantly, why. We'll delve into the human doing, but even deeper into the human being and the power of human-centered leadership to drive sustainable change. So whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts and disruptors, as together we will discover that success leaves clues. So Carol, it's a massive welcome to the Leadership Enigma. Thank you very much, thanks for having me. Now this isn't your first time to the Enigma, is it? It's not my first time, but this is the first time in front of the cameras and in front of the microphone. So, uh, and my first time ever on a podcast, actually. So, uh, yeah, you've got my first. There we Well, I, I'm very honoured, actually. That this is your <laughs> first time. And you're seeing the new studio for the first am, time as well. Yeah, what it's it, very bling. Because it was different but, last yeah, time you were here. Very bling. Love, love it. Love it. Now, I, I didn't do much of an introduction at all because in some ways I wanted to keep this link that we've got between you a, a little secret for a, a reveal. But just explain to everybody your background. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your history. Well, my history is mostly in football, yep. uh, elite sports. Um, I started work at the age of 14 in my local club, Wickham Wanderers, which I loved. Um, and since then, it's taken me on to work for the FA for 16 years, right. doing various different jobs. I, um, the last 12 years working with the England national teams um, as a team operations manager. So basically organising everything for them. Uh, their flights, their accommodation, doing the call-ups for the players, so letting them know they've been called up to play for England. And oh, you uh, do that as well? I did that as well, yes. So um. uh, I was the one to send the, the calls initially, and then it went on to texts, WhatsApp, um, etc. Uh, Is that the good? <laughs> was that the good with the bad? I did you tell them they didn't make it? Um, invariably, if they didn't hear from me, they okay. hadn't made it, and the manager <laughs> would have probably made those phone calls in advance anyway. Okay. So. Uh, um, that was going to be my next question, so I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you asked it. Yeah, thankfully, for sure. that wasn't down to me particularly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I left the FA uh, 10 years ago, uh, having met my now husband, the ex-England uh, footballer and manager, Stuart Pearce. And I now work with him on a daily basis doing leadership and motivational speaking, um, also helping him organise things like his media work and broadcast work. But the thing that we most, most enjoy doing together is the leadership and motivational side of things but uh, very unusual for me to be the one that's speaking and quite right so I think <laughs> uh, front and center in the studio so that was the last time you were here is when Stuart was in Correct, uh, and we did yes, that particular episode yes and I was the other side of the screen you uh, were. sort of getting frustrated because he hadn't mentioned that and he hasn't <laughs> mentioned that and I'll be doing the same I'm sure when I go home tonight I didn't mention that <laughs> well you're, you're lucky as I say he's not here so he can't do anything <laughs> exactly so we, we can have fun with it just just help me with one thing. Um, a lot of focus now you mentioned is in relation to leadership. Yes. And when we were chatting to Stuart, he had really thought about 
how to link experiences on the field, nationally and internationally, to leadership. Yes. So tell me a little bit about, because again, you've got hugely rich experience in relation to seeing people within elite sports and how that can now benefit anyone in a leadership position. So tell me a little bit about your thinking and why, it, why you're so interested in that direction of travel now. Um, there are a lot of parallels between sport and business. Yep. And that's the one thing we really enjoy looking at. When we go into companies now, whether it's corporate companies or other sporting organisations, we sort of look at where they're at, where their business is going, where they want it to go, their, their sort of challenges they're having at the moment. And there's so many of them. You can find a football story yep. to, to tie in, whether it's about adversity or resilience. Teamwork is obviously a, a big one. Um, management motivation and the, the links are there and what we find is that when you put it in a football context people sometimes get it yeah. because they hear all these buzzwords about leadership yeah. and management and there's a, a lot of it out there at the moment uh, and particularly in conferences sometimes when you hear that same voice from someone within an organization it's a bit like oh here we go again you get somebody in from an external a, external that's probably known to a lot of people as well and you start talking about this is what happened within my football career yeah. and this is how that reflects on you as a business person yes. people go ah the light bulb moments quite often happen yes I get that and they can relate very well to it then and we find that works really really well and for us one of the biggest things we find is when you come away from the conference and I've been in I've been in the ladies loo before now and heard people talking and saying, oh, I hate football, but I tell you what, I really took something from that. Mm. I really understood the way he put it. And that's when you think, ah, we've, you know, we're that's doing a good job here and it's working. That's the power of bringing the outside in, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's right a different voice, messing. isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a different voice. When you're hearing a different voice and you, it's being put in a slightly different way, it resonates. It can resonate yeah. a little bit more, and obviously we intermingle that with our own stories, particularly Stuart's, obviously from his wealth of experience. But between us, we've both worked with the elite football teams. We've both worked on the Olympics, the Team GB right. Olympics, um, and I've been lucky enough since Stuart and I have been working together that we've been out to uh, Borneo and Brunei and worked with the Gurkha regiments. We've been into the army you know, other businesses. So there's a lot there now that we can now talk about from the point of view of leadership and, and particularly sport. I guess that when you're looking at everything now, I mean, effectively you're a storyteller, right? And you're, you're yes. translating what's happening on the field into commercial stories. Correct, yes. Right, so it's quite interesting looking at all of the, the canvas of your life, whether it's going to the the far out places that you were just mentioning and how can I translate that into a story? That's something that would uh, excite me thinking about. It's what really excites us. We do a lot of other work, but the, the work that we really enjoy is the leadership work. And it's been really interesting for me because, you know, the last over the last sort of couple of days, knowing I've been coming here, yes. I've, I've sort of rethought myself about sort of leadership and I never really saw myself as a, a leader. But looking back, I've probably was and I probably bring a lot of that within it as well so Stuart and I work quite closely together and I've got more of a business brain he's got very much a sport ex-sportsman's brain and together yeah sort of that works really well well I was going to ask that question about how deliberate now uh, do you find that you sit down together and, and with that as you say those, those two different perspectives you start to deconstruct 
your combined experience and say, hang on, this is actually relevant to this, this is relevant to this. Because remember when we, we had Stuart here, we were chatting away, we talked about lots of elements of leadership and he immediately had stories that evidenced it. So have you sat down and been quite deliberate about that? Because I, I talk to CEOs who sometimes say, how do I unpack my 35 years of work in order now to, get, to give back and storytell? So how deliberate has that process been? Very deliberate, really, because I mean, we, what we do is we start with um, we start with a, almost a title or a word. Um, for example, you know, a, a phrase "working under pressure." Yes. And then we will think back on our experiences. Well, where did we work under pressure? How did we deal with that from a football perspective? And how can we then put that into the business perspective? Yes. So it is quite structured and quite deliberate in the way that we put the presentations together, depending on what the client. You know, once. So, um, but it, it's really interesting. When we first started doing it, it was very much led by Stuart. Right. You know, rightly so, because of his From those experiences. experiences. Yeah. But now, and also, I worked with him for seven years before we started doing this. Right. So I also have that time when we were together working on the Olympics, working with the under 21s, where, um, you know, I can now look back and say, well, actually, you did that. He might not have known it, but I saw it. So you give a different perspective so almost different on that experience. Exactly, okay. uh, and him with me as well. So that works really well. And sometimes he doesn't even realise where I said, you know, well, the impact you had on this particular occasion with that member of staff or yeah. that player, do you realise that that was the impact you had? Yeah. Oh, no, not really. And then we... It's almost like a coach, isn't it? Because yeah. you can give a slightly different perspective Very on, much so. on something. And then we deconstruct that, because I'm looking at it from the outside looking in. Right. Um, and Stuart's got very much a... Um, a sportsman's mind and a, a coach. Well, he manager. lives and breathes the football side, doesn't he? So you yeah. give a different perspective yeah. to uh, that. And he's obviously got all the stories in the main. And we're going to come back um, to from his from his experiences. But I can now see that, and it, it works really, really well. We definitely want to hear more from you, seeing in relation to your experiences of having to, in some ways, corral an entire England team. I think it's fascinating that you were ringing them up, no, saying, you're in, you're in, and <laughs> they hadn't heard from you. But let me do a quick reintroduction of Mitchell, because, Mitchell, welcome back to the Enigma. Thank you. Uh, we saw again. you quite recently, but just, again, do a little bit of an introduction of what you're doing right now. Um, so I am a co-founder of a business called X-Ray Glass, yep. and we provide solutions for the deaf and hard of hearing to break down barriers and engage with the conversation around them. And we do that through a number of ways, through an app, through devices such as glasses, augmented reality glasses, um, televisions, events. Um, really, uh, one thing that we've learned over the last couple of years or 18 months is really how quiet the world is for deaf people. Um, so actually bringing subtitles to events is something quite new for people. There is a momentum there to increase that adoption of it, which is fantastic. Um, and our technology enables that. So ultimately we are an app um, or a piece of software that takes real-time conversations from the outside world and turns them into text. Now, people can go back just maybe a couple of months and see the full episode that we did together and actually the, the demo. We even did a demo video. Of, of just But just fill in the gaps because I know you've had an extraordinary few months and I think you've been recognized and rewarded. And I see you on television now. So uh, just tell everyone a little bit about what's happened over the last six to eight weeks. Um, so actually, which is a nice segue to, to meeting Carol, um, is we've been doing a lot with sports. 
Um, notably, um, we've been working with the England's deaf football team, a uh, women's football team yep. specifically, um, with a fabulous uh, girl called Claire Stancliffe and all of her colleagues um, who are going out to Malaysia for the championships in September. And there is a feature this week um, on a... I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on the one show. Of course you can here. Uh, it's all inclusive on this show. So, so on the one show, talking about how this will impact their lives. Um, so they're not allowed to use technology on the field. Right. And clearly using glasses it is not um, right for a football environment. So it keeps that neutrality for all. Exactly, exactly. But what it does do is half-time team talks, um, particularly oh, wow. when they're going to Malaysia for the translation yes. Uh, piece right because not only are they deaf but there's also language barriers as well so to, to reduce that friction for all of them to make them more included um, is really really interesting and you know we've been helping them um, to understand the power of this platform um, we're also trying to help them raise their profile because unfortunately they're not sponsored to to go to the championship they have to fundraise themselves right. so they they've been uh, on this mission to raise money to go to malaysia i believe they're almost there um they're crowdfunding they're crowdfunding right um and yeah so it's really interesting meeting this intersection of sport and health and hearing um, or, 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 or deafness or hard of hearing um, is really interesting. And, and to, to hear Carol's story and particularly her affinity to, to that cause um, was really exciting for me to, to come today. Well, that's the perfect segue, isn't it? Because people might be listening or watching and thinking, now, this is a unique duo. How have, <laughs> how have you come to have, and I say this is the power of the network. So Carol, let me come back to you. How are we connecting the dots? Well, there's a couple of things. When when you first mentioned to me about uh, X-ray, I was very keen to, to come and listen and, yeah. and learn a little bit more. Personally, I'm hard of hearing, have been since since birth. I also have tinnitus, um, which is, is not a great thing to live with, but, but you do. Um, also, since I've um, come away from sort of the full-time football, yes. I now volunteer uh, hearing dogs for deaf people. Um, and I work with a profoundly deaf woman called Amanda who's fantastic so I'm my brain is going 10 to the dozen in sort of a number of different ways yes. my first thought when you were talking about the team situation there was the one thing with with football teams particularly in tournament environment is you have such a small amount of time to get a lot done yeah. with those yep. players you're yep. talking tactics you have meetings um, as you were saying team talks before a half time and after and that must take some time, I would think, on a, without this kind of technology, because it all has to be translated, all time pressure as well, right? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, exactly. But when you're in a tournament environment, mm. you play. You might have a rest day. You've then only got a day or two, limited time in meetings to to actually get the information across to the players. This could be an absolute game changer. So am I right in thinking that the teams could use the technology at half time? And then, yeah. and then during the actual match, they can't use the technology. So, so yeah, so there is zero technology during the match. I mean, they even anyone's got a cochlear implant, they have to disconnect the cochlear implant. Right. So where people were like, maybe putting their glasses in a box, everyone's just throwing their cochlear implants. I mean, it's wow. quite something to see. But certainly during half time, um, 
But it's also the accessibility side because you're not always going to get a deaf interpreter. You're not always going to get someone who is yeah. available for sign language. Um, and it comes at a cost as well. Mm. It's quite a significant cost because it's quite a unique skill. Um, so, yeah, absolutely half-time. Um, even after the, the event where the um, coaches are giving their speaking or their notes or summaries, being able to engage in that conversation and ask using things like chat GPT, natural word queries of that information is really, really interesting. And we're definitely going to come back to the chat GPT side mm. of things. But, Carol, just share with us a little bit about what's it been like living with that condition and the work that you've done and the environments that you've been in, would you say, which has been very fast-paced and perhaps people haven't even known or realized that you're you're dealing with something so what's that been like for you um in the main i i haven't really mentioned it as i've been yeah. going through my work in life my direct bosses knew right because um when i was in meetings i'd always try and sit it's my left ear that i have an issue with uh, i'd always make sure that i was sat at the front yeah. with my left ear pointing right. to most of you know any speech that's happening um, so in the main, people didn't necessarily, and the tinnitus is a is a completely, you know, you can't see that anyway, so you would never know that was a an issue. Right. Um, I'm sure there's been times when people have asked me questions and I've just smiled and nodded and they've thought, well, that's not getting much back from her. But in the main, I've I've been lucky in that I'm not profoundly deaf. I'm only sort of hard of hearing. Yes. So um, you just learn to live with it. And we were talking earlier about the lip reading as well. Mm. Um, I lip, write, lip read a fair amount, but that right. does make me look quite intense when I'm staring at people. People must think, whoa. That must be an incredibly difficult <laughs> skill, I'm thinking, to lip it's reading. It's not easy, particularly as people speak really fast. Yes. I, I know I'm doing it now. Um, and if they don't know, then they're not forming the words properly. Because that helps. If somebody does know, then they can slow down. Enunciate. Form it. the words. Enunciate yeah. does make it easier. Have you found and, that and, as uh, well? Well, so things like I found out that if you've got a beard it's really hard to lip read. Right, oh, there you go. Um, and also, it's, it's, um, it's hires you because you are constantly post-processing information because I'm lip reading you and then understanding what those lips meant whilst listening to the next part of the conversation. So it's really, really hard. It's really hard to lip read, certainly for any long periods of time. Yeah, it absolutely is. I was just it thinking, really I, I, was at, I, I was at Billy Joel in the park recently, and, and I remember seeing the sign folk who were, and so they're, so they're, in some ways, they're trying to do two things at once, and then they switch every about 15 or so minutes, and I'm just thinking to myself, it must be unbelievably tiring, yeah, it the is. mental focus to, to do all of that. So but wasn't that brilliant? I was at the Bruce Springsteen one. Uh, the, the, the day before the, or after, right? The sign, the person who's doing amazing. the sign language yeah. is doing all the guitar moves <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, they were brilliant. properly totally. into it. So, 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 I was watching that rather than Bruce. Sorry, Bruce. <laughs> but, but, it, but, but it makes it quite cool because, you know, people who, who are deaf or hard of hearing typically have to watch TV at 2 o'clock in the morning onwards to get any sort of... Um, sign language capabilities but actually seeing that where they're dancing to the songs and, and mimicking the, the guitar playing is incredible and that is bringing these two worlds of the hearing and the non-hearing yep. together closer and I love that that's a great initiative yeah, one fantastic. of the reasons I was really excited that we would all get together is the podcast has been focusing more and more now on the human being as opposed to just the human doing and we have amazing guests all the time but we get to unpeel a little bit and, and I'm intrigued in something Carol is at what point did you start maybe to become more open or vocal about what you were dealing with in relation to how that could help others or sharing understanding 
with regards to yeah, the hearing. Yeah, for you. Because obviously you're working in a high pressurized environment, yeah. you're working in elite sport, you're working with you know huge corporations. And so in some ways, did you start to think, I need to be more open about what I'm dealing with in relation to? Yeah, and, and less embarrassed. I think the older you get, the, right. the less conscious you are, or self-conscious you are, I think. Yeah. And it also got to the point where I, I thought, I can do my job better if people actually know right. that maybe there's a slight issue there. So I made sure, say all my managers knew, all my head coaches knew almost from day one to say to them, look, yeah. I'm, if I don't answer you, don't think I'm being rude, mm -hmm. just say it again, say it louder, tap me on the shoulder, whatever it might be. As I say, I'm quite lucky in that I have a perfect hearing in my right ear yes. and I, I pers purposely move myself around to put myself in a situation where I can, I can hear. Um, but yeah, in, in certain high, you know, meetings with UEFA, FIFA, draws, things like that, um, it was difficult. And you can't just stand up and say, "Oh, by the way, I'm," you know, yes. you can't do that. So you do have to adapt yeah. with it. But I certainly got more and more comfortable as I went on, and less embarrassed to say, "I've got this slight issue," you know, yeah. just bear with me. Go on, Mitchell. I know I was going to say, and, and you know, that's that's true from what we've seen from numbers, you know. The, Globally, one in five people are affected by some form of hearing loss. Um, but in the UK, there are approximately 800,000 hearing aid users. Right. So there's a disconnect, you know, 68 million people in yeah, the UK. Yeah, the numbers eight, don't stack up. Right? Um, yeah. And because there is a stigma attached to wearing hearing aids, or people don't want to really um, admit that they have a problem with their hearing. You know, there's classic signs that you walk into the house and the TV's on full blast. Um, these are classic signs that people are losing their hearing. Um, but yeah, and I, I think with this whole new world that we live in of people coming forward and standing up and saying, Look, I do have a problem or I have a condition that I actually own and I'm happy with it, but you need to know about it actually is a is a is a great stride forward for for humanity right and people Absolutely. like yourself coming forward with that we saw it was incredible we went to a, a company a, a famous bank in london um where we took the glasses in and they emailed all of the staff saying we've got this initiative if anyone's yeah. interested would you come and have a look there was this one girl bless her heart who came in um sort of lady not a girl and and she put them on and she burst out crying and she had been living with hearing loss her entire eight years of working for this firm and had never told them. Wow. Um, and this was so emotional for her, so liberating for her. And actually, she's emailed me subsequently to say that her whole work um, culture has changed since she's told everybody. You know, we're getting more and more people being quite open now, especially in relation to things such as neurodiversity, including yeah. my daughter, who has actually been a guest on, on this show. But Carol, have you also found that as you've been more open, other people, you've had this kind of reaction too, where someone else has said, actually, I, I struggle with the same thing, or yeah. actually, I've never. So have you found in some ways you've motivated, inspired someone to say, oh, actually, maybe I need to come, you know, be more open with what I'm dealing with? Absolutely. And I think it's made people also a little bit more aware and maybe look out for it a little bit more with regards to other people that they interact with. Yeah. Um, as well so I think I don't think there was too many other people certainly in my work environment that had the same issue but there was sort of you know here and there I'd, I'd bump into people and they'd say oh that's really good to know thank you for saying it or you know right. it's, but yeah I think you have to be open about these things otherwise 
you know, people are gonna, you, you're not gonna be able to do your job properly. You're not gonna be able to communicate properly. Yes. And sometimes you do need a little bit of help. It's the confidence, isn't it, guidance. sometimes to Absolutely. have that conversation. Absolutely, and I, I was, um, I had a hearing aid, not for very long, because at the time when I was um, fitted for a hearing aid, yes. Uh, the technology wasn't there and it didn't work with my tinnitus because obviously a hearing aid, the idea is to block out background noise and if yep, you have right. background noise naturally, it doesn't overly work. And I'll be honest and I haven't been back to see if the new technology would work better for me and maybe that's something I should do. But uh, And the devices now are really discreet as yeah. well. It's not like... Incredibly you know, discreet. They used to be they? a, a yeah, rather like, large well, it was like the equivalent the back of, of your ear, didn't they? Exactly. It was like the, help, the equivalent of the National Health Glasses, but in, yeah, in hearing aids. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to ask Carol another question that I'm going to come to you for kind of a technological update, uh, yeah. Mitchell, is you tried the glasses just before we, we started this episode. Yes. What was that like? Absolutely fantastic. Just explain to us kind of how you felt. And, and I don't know, what, what was your thinking? Because obviously this is something that could actually help you and you're impacted by this yeah other than feeling incredibly cool <laughs> feeling like it was sort of like james bond-esque someone's smiling now <laughs> yeah which is fantastic i tell you what it it automatically gave you a real sense of freedom tell me a little bit more about in that. the sense that i don't think i'll miss any i'm not going to miss anything yeah, i'm not wow. going to miss part of this conversation um which is is huge and because you do miss out on on stuff. Sometimes I find myself almost switching off. Right. If I'm listening into a conversation and I've missed so much of it, I almost find myself switching off. So I'm like, well, I'm I'm lost now. I'm completely lost because I've no idea what they're talking about and they've gone off on a tangent and I can't hear. Yes. Whereas with these glasses, you automatically think, well, I'm not going to miss anything. This is fantastic. I'm not. I'm going to know exactly right. what they're saying. I'm not going to have that awkward thing when somebody turns to you and saying, what do you think? And you're sat there going, seven. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just smile and nod. And <laughs> what are the circumstances that are most challenging for you then, in order to, to be able to hear properly? Um, pubs. Right. Not so much the clubs anymore. <laughs> yeah, we're all Sadly. So, so you're talking but about so that, large that social, social right. That social environment. With an and even lots of ambient noise. Networking events. Right. For, for what okay. we do now, you know, in, in the work that we do, we go to quite a few networking events dinners yes you know I'm on a table with with clients that you're trying to sell things sell the ideas yes. to and and you're talking to them and right. you know you've got things going on all around you and it's very difficult you have to really focus as we were saying earlier really focus on what's being said and if somebody then comes in from the other side of the table it's hard it's then really hard you then got to must be exhausting sort of it is, it is exhausting, it can be exhausting. Okay. Uh, and as I say, I've only got, I've got sort of 12% hearing in this ear and, and a great right. So for the people that are even more hard of hearing, it must be, you know, I, I have an understanding yeah. that it must be extremely exhausting, but these glasses and the app, even just the app itself, if you don't have the glasses, Could to help. be able to, to look at it and know that you're not gonna miss anything you are going to be able to engage, you're going to be able to full, fully see that conversation through. Okay. Is, is, yeah, a sense of freedom. Well, I mean, just to, just to that point, and thank you for that, it's, it's great to hear and, and something we hear a lot, but, you know, particularly like networking events, if we lean into the technology side, so we use voice thumbnails. So once I've, I've listened to you and I understand and I've labelled you as Carol, uh, the next time I meet you, um, one forward a, a 
few weeks, possibly even a few months, um, will be able to recall that back. So the next time I meet you, I can get prompts to say, don't forget it's Carol Day, or don't forget that she worked for the FA for 10 years, um, as prompts. And when you are networking, you're getting all of that super memory aiding you, um, which is incredible. And, and we're seeing this, this change, you know, this change with AI is, 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 is a bigger innovation as the internet itself. Right, and, and we're the at use. A point in time. We are a point right in now. time, and we'll look back and say that was, you know, I, I was there um, when AI was really invented. Um, and we will see that this will impact not just people who are deaf or hard of hearing, neurodivergent, and those who, who are um, without any conditions. Um, it, it's an amazing time to be alive. So just, really just give us a little bit of a, a summary then of how can these glasses help at the moment? And where do you think this is going to end up? So today, naturally, they can yeah. um, engage uh, or e enable people who are deaf or hard of hearing to get involved in conversations. Yes. Um, particularly where we were talking about before with lip reading, even if you are the most proficient lip reader, it does take its toll on you. Um, uh, being able to recall those conversations. So ask questions of your previous conversations with technologies, large language models as they're known, such as ChatGBT, and uh, the ability to answer those questions. Um, but where it will be go going forward, you know, we're not a million miles away and it's not our direction of travel. Mm -hmm. But when the next iteration of these glasses come out where you've got cameras in them, so we have a different a mode of of data so you have this multimodal world that we live in where you can start understanding your environment and effectively these could enable people who are visually impaired so like your tesla or electric car has autonomous vehicle capabilities imagine the glasses being able to tell you in front of you is a road or those traffic lights are red um or there's an incoming car yeah. Mm. Um, or, or again, for someone who's deaf hard of hearing, the alarm bell's going off, the fire alarm's going off, which mm. they may not be able to hear, particularly that high-pitched sound. Mm. Um, so we don't, honestly, we're finding out as we're going along. You know what they say, when you, when you, when you uh, create a startup, it's like jumping a, off a cliff and building a plane on the way mm. down. Um, that's what we've been doing. But we've been finding out all of these use cases, things like, auditory processing disorder, which we may have spoken about in well, the yeah, last briefly, yeah. um, But this is where you can hear and see everything, but you can't cognitively process it, even though you can hear it. Um, but if you read it, you can. Mm. So who knows what other conditions we uh, or, or, or situations we can help, and we're finding out, our users are telling us. So we have so many amazing young people working uh, in our organization, and Hopefully, lots watching and listening. But, Carol, what are your thoughts for anyone who's starting out in their career and wanting to be their best, do their best, and achieve anything? But they are they are struggling with something, or they, in some ways, uh, are, are not being as open as they perhaps could be, and maybe lack the confidence for now. Any kind of thoughts or advice for for, for the younger generation who are thinking, "Yeah, I, I really want to be my best, but I need to deal with something." For me, I think. We, are, I think, the young the young people of today are in a very enviable position. Actually, right. I think, yeah. in that the world as we know it is far, far more accepting. It's more understanding of all sorts of, not just conditions, but 
you know, every, I don't think there's anything out there these days that people sort of balk at and think, oh, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. I think we're so, so much more understanding um, yeah. that everybody's different, everybody's unique. And that's the way to look at it. You're unique. There's nobody else like you out there. You are one of a kind and embrace that. Um, ask for help. Probably one thing I didn't do in my younger days, especially going into such a high profile, high, you know, yeah, high powered kind of environment. I probably didn't ask for help enough because of an embarrassment factor or there was nobody else out there that had the same issues I did. Um, that I think if you're a young person going in, don't let it stop you doing anything that you want, you want to do. Yeah. Uh, I always wanted to be a TV presenter, bizarrely. Never did because I thought, well, I can't have anything in my ear telling me what's going on right. because I wouldn't hear it. Didn't even pursue it. So that impacted on your choices? It, it did. Yeah. It's something I always wanted to do. Now, don't get me wrong, no regrets. I've had the most amazing career within football. Wouldn't change it for, right. for the world, but that's where I was, but didn't go down that route because I felt there was restrictions that I couldn't get over. I didn't ask anybody whether I could get over them. I just made an assumption that I couldn't. Yeah. And I think these days, the younger generation have got, there's far more understanding, far more help, yeah. uh, that you can do whatever you want to do. And the other thing I would say to, to all kids, which is sort of slightly off tilt a little bit, is do something that you love. It's so, so key. Makes the day go faster. <laughs> exactly. You're at work a lot of hours in the day. And, you know, I... I sort of speak to people at a lot of our networking events that maybe have kids that want to be or can you advise on how my my son or daughter could be a professional footballer and I often say to them there's a 64 million dollar question isn't it but what I often say to them is the chances of them being not wanting to burst any bubbles yeah. you know or shatter any dreams but the chances of them being a professional footballer are remote yeah. aim for that please absolutely aim for that because yeah. People do make it, of course. But if you don't think you're going to be good enough to be a professional footballer, you can be an accountant within the footballing world. You could be yeah. a lawyer. You can be a sports scientist, a physio. Mm -hmm. You love football, so go into that, but do something within that that um, industry yeah. that is something different, and you'll still love it. For me, as a starting off as a sort of a secretary, my career's advisor was a bit like, well, oh, be a secretary, be a PA. Okay, great. I fell into what I did. I fell into yeah. football, but I loved it. So yeah. I've Shoot always loved stars. football. And go to what Shoot you for love. the stars. And, and I've, I've worked with some of the elite footballers, the names that are already out there. You yes. know, I worked with Gareth Southgate for a number of years. And a lot of the players that are now in the England squad were in my under-21s. <laughs> you know, nice I've, to see them go through, right? Like, yeah. You know, I gave some of those their, their first call-up. No, not me personally, but I made the call to give them their, you know, their first call up. Yeah. So you can be heavily involved and in wear the love. badge, you know, and be proud to represent your country just in a slightly different way. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting? I was just listening to, to what you were saying there about giving advice to people. You know, I, I get asked a lot for, for work advice, particularly when people are saying, can you talk to my son? He's a bit lost. And one of the first questions I ask is like, what makes you smile? You know, what activity do you do that really excites you? And start from that 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 basis um, to understand because no one, particularly when you're young, they, no one knows what they want to do. Um, they really don't. Yeah. Um, I may speak to many kids, well, 
from 16 to sort of 25, they just don't know. Mm. I certainly didn't know at that age. I had to make loads of mistakes. And I never really had anyone that sort of pointed me in the direction I wish I did. Mm. And so I find it a great responsibility. And so it's interesting. And also the part before that you were talking about, you know, um, we live in this time now where it's acceptable to, to be different. Absolutely. You know, I think that there was... Certainly when I was younger, there was like a, this is what you must look like and this is how you must behave. Today, it's okay to be perfectly imperfect, mm. right? Is that and, and actually to own that and say, I am unique. I am my own brand. Um, and that's a really lovely place to be. That's a really, really Wouldn't it be dull if we were all the same? Yeah. Well, I love what you said. Is, you know, just be you because everyone else is taken, right? So just <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> love that. Yeah. I love that. In many ways. And I, and I hope people are watching and listening to this and thinking actually when you are different, when you are working with something, I'm not going to say struggling with something, actually that could be your superpower. There's Absolutely. something about you that you mentioned it earlier. It makes you unique. It can make you different. It can make you see, hear, and think about things very differently apart from maybe the way that some of us are sometimes processed to, to deal with things in almost a cookie cutter way. I want to bring this back to, to the leadership piece because obviously with all the experiences that you've had, and I'll start with, with you, Carol, with the work that you're doing at the moment, and you're doing a lot of work quite deliberately within leadership. Yes. What are some of the things that you're seeing and hearing that are really important at the moment on leaders' minds in 2023 when the world has gone slightly mad? It absolutely What, what are some of the things that you're... Mad seeing and hearing and that you're actively working on in order to in some ways contribute to? One of the interesting <coughs> things that, that I've found that's sort of come up in the last couple of years, yep. and I hate to bring the C word up, <laughs> COVID. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we beyond that? <laughs> <I know. laughs> but what I've found is um, I had an, I've had an experience of leading um, and managing sort of almost away from your team. Right. When I worked at the FA and I had my team, um, who also looked after my team of team operations guys, we were all traveling. We were very rarely in the office together. Yeah. That's not an easy, easy place to lead. It's quite difficult when you've got people all over the world, in our cases, all over the country, yet you're still trying to sort of um, guide them. Yeah, you're still trying to guide them. You're still trying to um, be a leader to them. You're trying to teach yep. them. You're trying to inspire them. All the things that, that we want our leaders to be. Um, that's not easy when you see them once a month. Yes. You know, because that's the nature of the work we did. Yep. I was always traveling. They were always traveling. It was, it was the one thing that was always the biggest challenge right. for me as a, a manager and a leader. Um, and now I'm seeing it with a lot of companies this a nod towards home working, which I think is good for mental health, that you've got yeah. that opportunity the to work from home, the flexibility, yep. exactly. Um, and it's one of the things that's coming up quite a lot with leaders is, yeah, but I don't see my team from, from one week mm. to the next because they're working from home, or how do I inspire that? Zoom calls are great, but it's not that one-on-one -on -one so interaction. Yeah, well, you don't get those water so cooler much. moments. Exactly, exactly. And that seems to be one of the biggest challenges, I think, that... Uh, yeah that are coming in and, and I always used to try and make sure that I I called them on a regular basis, my team on a regular basis, particularly if they knew we were in some far-flung far country, you know, in the middle of yep. Montenegro for one, you know. <laughs> what, good <laughs> choice. Enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, to make sure I rang them and said, how are you doing? You yep. need any advice? Everything going all right? Just so that they knew mm. that they were 
valued, listened to, somebody was thinking of them, yeah. you know, because sometimes it's not always easy to ring and ask for help. Whereas if I've rung them, that gives them the opening to say, well, actually, now you've called. Mm. And I found that a lot. Yeah. Now you've called, actually, you could help me with this, this and this. And actually, you being proactive. We always say that, yeah. you know, if you're leading and managing a team, actually, your leadership is energy expensive. Yes. To proactively reach out, talk to people, as you say, to to open up that that yeah. dialogue because sometimes it won't come to you will it absolutely absolutely and the one thing i th i really thought about whilst before coming into this this podcast was when i first started making notes i found myself making notes as to what i did as a manager right rather than a leader and i think there's very often um there's no distinction between management and leadership whereas actually management is very processed driven isn't it it's about pdrs it's about disciplinary it's about hiring firing mm. it's all of that whereas leadership is very different of course there there's a, a crossover of course there is and i sort of look back on my career and i think i was probably and, and only the people that worked with me will know but i was probably a better leader than i was a manager right because that was my interest uh, and sometimes i felt that i was maybe held back from that because i had to do the tick boxes of management make sure the PDRs were done, make sure the holiday forms were filled in, all of that, was actually what I wanted to do was be with my team yeah. and, and leading, inspiring, teaching, getting to know them. Because for me, that's, that's that human element, which well, is far more me. I'm a people person. And I, you're and you're I, in the right place. It's the I, focus for us is human-centered <laughs> leadership. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, the, and I, I'm not sure all leaders necessarily have that distinction between managing and leading, because you can be a leader without being a manager and vice versa. In fact, a lot of leaders are not necessarily under that banner of manager. Necessarily. I, 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 I'm a terrible manager, but a, but a good leader. Yeah. And, you know, I, I try and humanise as much as I can, you know, that, that old adage of um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's true. Never so true in, in football, where you've got the team, where they're all friends and they're all fighting for each other. You know, I've heard Stuart talk many a time, about his relationship with Gascoigne because he was he was like a, a real team player, um, potentially not maybe, but um, and one thing that I found when I've been into businesses is, you know, this big experiment of the home working is great. It's not without its challenges. I actually find it a real challenge working from home all the time, mm -hmm. and actually miss those water cooler moments. Absolutely. Um, but also, you know, understanding my peers and their lives as well. You know, one of the exercises I did with one of the businesses I'm involved with is we did this two truths and a lie where everyone in the business had to come forward and they're quite profound things that they come up with. Um, and actually understanding the people that are in the business, not just their day-to-day -day roles and their, their performance measures and all of those, but actually getting to know those helped build a better culture within the business. And knowing that my, my colleague has looked after his disabled brother for the last 30 years and has been his carer, built my team closer together. And that's where I can see leaders investing more time in understanding your people and what programs them and what their lives are like outside of work is an incredibly powerful tool. It's absolutely key. It's one of the things that, that Stuart and I speak a lot about is getting to know the people around you. Um, and I know I went into, I went back into work with the under 21s, um, the under 21s that have just won the I was going to say, can we, just, can we just sit and celebrate? Very, very, yeah. very proud of, uh, proud of those boys. Yeah. Um, I worked with them at the start of their campaign for a couple of 
um, a couple of trips. Took them out to Andorra and uh, yeah. Slovenia and uh, and worked with those guys. And it was a new group of staff to me. Right. Um, I took over from Jenny, who who does the looks after the twenty ones. She couldn't do the trips uh, for personal reasons. So I I just jumped in. Didn't know any of these people. And the head coach Lee Carsley said to me um, quite early on on the first trip, "Would you take just take the staff meeting?" Yeah. And so I said, "Yeah, no problem at all." And sat back and thought, "Okay, let's. How am I going to do this?" So I sat down and said, "Right, everybody okay? Everybody did the usual stuff, the tick box in, you know. Yeah. Anybody got anything to report? Everybody happy? Right. Tell me one thing about yourself that nobody else will know." Mm. And it's absolutely fascinating. I. I say to people, if you get the opportunity to do this with a new group of people, whether it's at work or social, it's fascinating. We had somebody that had been on Bullseye and won a bully. <laughs> I mean, it's just little things. Uh, and I've done this before with other teams That wasn't as well, someone from the under-21 squad. <laughs> no, it was one of the staff members, actually. Um, somebody else that had, had sung with uh, Status Quo, been wow. on stage and sung Blimey. with Status Quo. and. Somebody else's legs were in Stuart, Stuart Little, the film. Right. Their legs were used in Stuart Little. I mean, there was some really random stuff. Somebody, great ones well, uh, my, my mum was, I won the Sky version of Blind Date. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my cousin was Marty Feldman. There you go. So, there you go. Two things we didn't know. And they're things, and the, it, it starts conversations. And what was really satisfying is days later. Yeah. People were still talking about. Yeah, agreed. You know, oh, tell me about, tell me about that situation. Because it's, tell it's me interesting about that. How commonality. Did you do that? It is, yeah. and it's it's also curiosity. it's also curiosity, and it's also something that isn't about what you're there to do. Yeah, we were there to win football matches, and actually, all these stories had nothing to do with football, which is great because it's a it just freshens up your views of people and. That you might know them as a coach or you know them as the video analyst or you know them as the, the physio. Yeah. And that's about it. Whereas now you know them as, you know, that person that can't ride a bike or that, you know, that person that whatever it may have been. Yeah. That can actually it's see. It's that human. It's that human piece. Yeah. And, and I've got a, a little golden nugget for anyone that's maybe in sales more than anything. Yeah. Is one of the lessons that I learned very early on in sales was to cross the, uh, the divide between work and personal. And what I mean by that is, is I always had my Facebook as my personal life or Instagram as my personal life and LinkedIn as my work yep. outfit. Actually, the quicker I brought people into my personal world, yeah. so they got that subliminal understanding of who I am, that they know I like Arsenal or they know I like going to concerts, it created deeper relationships with my customers and my partners and my staff. And actually, it's a really good tip of anyone out there who's doing sales is connect with everyone. Connect with them on all platforms and share the information. Obviously, be meaningful and purposeful with what you post and respectful. But it's a really good business tip is to bring people in and humanize them, not just tick boxes. Yeah. And Absolutely. And it was the same for, for players, um, you know, yeah. I found because I think you also have and it's something that that I know sort of Stuart has in his life obviously his nickname is Psycho um, that was his book that was his book but some people still think he's that he's got that psycho persona um, and it's sort of almost breaking down that that barrier to get over that and yeah. say actually that's not me at all it 
it was something that I was called and it was part of my my Thing. playing career, but it's not who I am now. And I always found with players as well, I remember working with Craig Bellamy um, yeah. at the uh, with the Olympic squad. He came in and, and Bellas has a, had a little bit of a reputation, a bit of a bad boy, not easy to work with, etc., etc. And I'll be honest, for the first couple of days, I was a bit sort of, uh, don't know how to, a little bit scared, I'll be honest, you know, I don't know how to deal with him. And yes. then we found some common ground um, in that I found out he does some um, some work with kids in Sierra Leone and he's got his own um, sort of football academies almost wow. out in Sierra Leone. So I asked him about it. He came into the office one day and I asked him about it. Right. Best buddies. By the end of it, best right. buddies. Yeah. And it was, again, right. finding <laughs> something personal that you can chat to them about. Because I could have gone through that whole four-week period of being, yeah. <laughs> Very sterile being bored. Yeah. You know, I'm a bit a bit scared of him. But, you know, oh, lovely bloke. I remember Stuart bloke. was quite candid when he was in the studio when he talked about, you know, the human being, human doing. And he talked about the psycho, was it was then. Mm. Actually, now, the Stuart Pierce is, is very different now. Mm. And, and, the work, and he, he was talking ab about that. So here's, a, here's actually probably an unfair question to both of you. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, I know <clears throat> you've... you've Got some notes there and done some thinking, which is which is fabulous for for this episode. Did you have any realizations about leadership or some of the things that you had done, or make any new connections as you were thinking about coming onto the show, and some of the things that you know you've you've done or were considering? Was there any standout for you? Good question. Um... I'm going to ask you that as well, Mitchell, so start. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, 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 I've got mine locked. Oh, Have you? interesting. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Go on, then. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so I think that um, you should never underestimate the impact that you have on people's lives at everything that you're doing. Um, I remember once I did a, uh, an event at Lord's Cricket Ground, and some young guy came up to me. Yeah and said, you don't know who I am, um, but I saw you on stage a few years ago, and you inspired me to start my own business, and I now run an IT company with 20, 30 staff. Wow. And I had no idea that I would have that impact on him, and I've had a lot of things happen to me that I'm very proud of. Um, that was one of the proudest moments for me, that I had inspired someone else mm. just by doing my day job, and, and it's made me be more premeditated to understand the importance that role has mm. of being a speaker um, so yeah that was one of the lessons that I had learned and, and, and that really resonates because in a lot of the work that we're doing with leaders a your role models mm. and, yep. and your role models to people that you probably don't even know yeah. are actually seeing and hearing you um, <clears throat> I remember John Amici who's been on the show a couple of times he's a former NBA player and also a psychologist he tells a lovely story that he was in the gym of one of the NBA teams and he was just taking it a little bit easy and, and Johnny is six foot nine and gargantuan and he remembers a very famous coach NBA coach just came up behind him and very quietly in his ear just said you're always being watched and he started <laughs> to speed up because he, he realized actually that that it, that's exactly it and so you, you know we talk a lot of it again he had a lovely way of describing leadership he said leadership is the promise of a lived experience for those around you mm -hmm. you create a shadow you create an ecosystem mm -hmm. around you Mm. Uh, and you have an impact on people. Mm. So, so Carol, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Because I sometimes say to people, you know, what's, what's the most important leadership lesson that you've ever given or even received or something that just really stands out for you at the moment? I think um, 
I think, and then again, I, I guess I'm biased because I'm now married to him, but at the time I first met Stuart, yes. um, as I was talking about before, he came in with this psycho name tag. Yeah. And I remember it was at Breadsville Priory in Derby and, and we were meeting up with the 21s for the first time. I'd never met him. And he was striding, came striding down the uh, um, driveway, right. very forceful. I'm quaking in my boots thinking, oh my God, it's psycho, what the hell? Um, and we sat down as a staff uh, the following day and he just created a team. And it's something I've always sort of, I've learned from, yeah. from that experience and the way he was the leader in that he always made us feel like there was an environment we could be honest in. It was an environment that we could talk in. Right. So if I had something on my mind, I felt I could say it and it would be listened to, it would be valued, whether it was taken forward or not, was almost irrelevant. But the fact that he would listen, or the rest of the staff would listen, yes. that you felt valued, that you felt like you were part of the team, um, that you were, you were empowered, you know, and I know that's a quite a big leadership word and, and used yeah. a lot, but it's so true. The fact that you're empowered to be who you are and it gives you the confidence, um, and that's something I now, try and do as well um, as, as I go through my sort of leadership and, and sort of from where I was then yeah. um, because that's something I'd never had really before um, is is being told yeah it's okay to speak up say what you think you, your views, your opinions they are valued yeah. let's listen to them and he created that environment and creating an environment to be open and honest I think is very important Memory and I think resonance. we ended up, we were a fantastic team staff with that group. In fact, somebody at some point, sort of not accused, but sort of suggested we were empire building. But it wasn't. We had a group of leaders. Um, and one, one quote, which I'd actually written down here that um, we, use, we use quite a lot, is, is good leaders create followers. Great leaders create leaders. Yeah. Mm. And I nice. think that is, is nice. so important because as a leader... There we go. That's a wonderful piece of advice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think it's so true. Yeah. Um, in the world of, of elite sports, um, I know it might be a sweeping statement, but I think there is a danger of, of sort of doing that whole, this is mine, this is my environment, yeah. let me hold on to it yeah. as best I can because there's a fear factor because there's so many changes happen so quickly there's always people behind you ready to take your job right because it's such a, a sort of a sexy industry almost yeah um, a lot of focus on it yeah and, and actually I was I was told when I first started by a, a boss that well, if you don't like the job if you don't like the pay there's hundreds of people behind you that will take your job so yeah. like it or not um, and I think there's an element of that in elite sports so leaders don't necessarily try and create other leaders. They want people following them, of course, they want to be that leader, but they don't necessarily want to, to find other leaders just in case they take right. take over from them or take that job for, from them. But it's important, it's, it's key that you leave behind yeah. the people that can be the next, the next you, the next leaders. Well, I've done, I've done that. One, one of the things that I've always lived with as an entrepreneur is, is to try and make myself 
uh, redundant as quickly as possible. Hire those better than yeah. you. Yeah, hire the people better than me. We've had that conversation with people actually. that can do the job yeah. as well as you, better than you, because you'll have your things that you're good at. Exactly. And you'll also have your weaknesses. Yeah. We're humans. We all have our weaknesses. And if you can have somebody yeah. alongside you um, that's got that strength, yeah. Pass it on. Yeah. And be self assured as a leader. And I think that's a really, a really important point and a unique quality for leaders is helping their followers, their, their, their teams understand their weaknesses. Absolutely. Because not everyone can understand or knows their weaknesses. And a good leader will help them understand them and how to combat them or how to overcome them. Um, and that's something I've seen in a few, very few leaders, but those that have managed to do that have created high-performing teams. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I can't really do any better than that, can I, really, to kind of finish <laughs> off the episode? Listen, I just want to say a massive thank you to both of you thank for coming you. in. Uh, this definitely shows the power of the network, and we're actually going to be doing some more episodes soon. We're actually, we're, we're co-hosting some, and we're also getting as I say, some people together, which might seem like an eclectic mix, but this is a, a good example of that. It works. So, it it does, does work. work. I hope you'll you. both stay connected uh, sure, in relation for sure, to for sure. uh, the, what, the work that's going on. But a big thank you for both coming back to the Leadership Enigma. And uh, uh, this will be going out very, very soon. Pleasure. Thanks thank you. Very much. Thank you. All thank right. you, Carol. Thank, thank you, Adam. Join us again next week for more curiosity and insight with the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with me on LinkedIn or visit us at www.leadersenigma.com. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms and on our dedicated YouTube channel. Thanks again for joining the community.